Hello. Oh, hey there. All right. My guest today is Aaron Espinoza. He's the American Council of Blind Students president. Uh, Aaron has been, uh, you've been what, legally blind since birth? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I lost it when I was 14. Uh, 14. Okay, 15. well, I'll let yeah. Aaron introduce himself. So, Aaron, go ahead, introduce yourself. Yeah, so as Baha was saying, I serve as president of the American Council of Blind Students as well as the president of the California Council of Blind Students. So I'm super active in in uh, the blind consumer organizations and vocational rehab. Um, and I'm really interested in pretty much anything with having to do with uh, blindness, video game accessibility, web accessibility, audio description, employment, anything impacting the blind, training centers. But yeah, that's that's about me. All right. So let's talk about VR. Aaron, I'm pretty sure you've had your fair share of experiences with VR. Um, this is part two of part one of my series on vocational rehabilitation. Um, but the one thing about VR is uh, it's very subjectivity based when you agree it's very based on what the counselor office wants to do for example a counselor can deny services and and that's a big red flag why should the counselor deny services right their job is supposed to counsel not judge so aaron i want to get your take on what is your take on the fact that counselors can deny services yeah, I think I think the counselors. Uh, yeah, so that is true. They can they can deny services, but I think they kind of count on you not knowing your rights or what you can get out of of VR. I kind of I kind of compare it to the Vatican Library. So, that here, let me explain the example. So, the Vatican Library, it's it has a lot of historical books, and you can you can check out any of them, but you have to know the exact title of it. So. Uh, they're not going to tell you what's available. You have to know uh, exactly what you want, and they'll be more than willing to give it to you. But even then, uh, this example differs because they can still uh, deny you. That's your VR uh, counselor. And then like you were just saying at the beginning, uh, they can disagree with you about your employment objective. If they don't think you're capable as a blind person to do, say, become a data scientist or a lawyer, uh, they... They will, they'll, they'll discourage you and, and make you do something else or, or kind of lead you to do something else because they don't they have the mindset that you can't do that because um, you're blind. Right, and I think it's just any disability too. Blind, blind deaf, visual impairment, uh, autism, cerebral palsy, uh-huh. LD. It's any disability. And again, that's something that is a red flag because when I look at, and I hear the word counselor or counsel, you know, the, the core meaning of that word, I'm not going to use the you know, uh, dictionary.com uh, d- terminology, but we know that the word counsel is, is to guide and advise. And of course, people may have their disagreements, but it's ultimately up to the client or the consumer uh, to go forward for whatever the goal should be. And I think they should have the right to choose what the uh, what what they want to do instead of the counselor discouraging them. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree, and this is why they fought uh, really hard back, back in the day, like in the in the nineties, um, and even seventies and eighties. But uh, now we have informed choice, which allows you to do whatever you want. Um, with vocational rehab, you get to decide 
Um, so that really helped us a lot. But but I just go back to people don't know what what they can get out of um, what they can get out of VR because they don't know the the policies, the regulations. Because why should they know that? That's what the counselors there for. They went to they went to school to get their bachelor's or their master's uh, to do this job, so they should know everything about that. And they do, but but they they put the burden on on the client. Um, and you can call it whatever you want, client, uh, the client, consumer. Uh, there's different terms that they refer to to people that have a case open for uh, with VR. It's very interesting because they're assuming that we need to know. And, and the thing about this is, of course, we, we must do our due diligence. You know, it's a skill we must teach ourselves. So in any situation, colleges, university, it, it's a real-life skill and it's a sad reality that if you don't know your rights, you're going to be eaten up alive. And, and, and the one thing I'm astonished is, you know, young, young people who come out of high school who sign out with these VR services who don't know what's going on. I find it very interesting. You know, there's a lack of awareness of the VR rights. And my question is, what can we do to start establishing that, that individuals can know what they're entitled to, what, what they can have what they should use because the VR, just like you said, the VR counselor is not going to tell them, but if you talk, talk to the VR counselor, they'll give it to you. So um, uh, I'll go back yeah. to this question. What should people do or, I, or I, VR agencies do to aware people on rights? Yeah, I think, I think, I think we should, I think people or I think someone or a group of people, maybe like a nonprofit to, to, once you open up a case to the counselor, or to, or I don't know which way we would get the the consumer or the client, but put them in touch with the group that that lets them know all their rights because their counselor is not gonna not gonna tell them. And, and every state has it's called CAP, a client assistant program. But that's mm-hmm. once once it's you're all the way to the end. Like once you had enough with your counselor, like what's the point of that? I mean once you get to the end you want you need help once you open up your case not once it's too late and you had enough and you're you're pretty much given up with a vr you need someone once you open it and at the middle stage and not at the end stages so i think i think there should be some kind of non-profit that once you open a that once you open up a case they kind of get a hold of you or get in contact with you and, and kind of guide you or, or they're at your meeting with you when you're meeting with your counselor and setting up your IEP or your IPE. Um, so the, I think that that's uh, one solution to this to this problem. Have someone there uh, with you at the beginning and the middle stages, not at the end stages when once you're ready to give up or once you're giving up and and you're fighting against your counselor and your supervisor. Um, I think I think it's it's worth it's well said because you're right. There's an issue, lack of awareness. And, and again, there's lack of uh, what's going on. So what, uh, with uh, the, the rights and, you know, I don't know if you went to school for the blind, but I went to school for the deaf and blind. And I look back and I was like, wow, how it was more of a presentation to sell them apply here, but not, you know, asking for the rights. And I think when it comes to presentation, of course, it's a life skill. We must ask for rights. And for anyone who's disabled, Always know your rights. Do your research. Don't be afraid to question those presenters and say, I need to know my rights. And if they find it as interrogate, you know, that, that's another thing. I've talked to a couple of council workers or people who work in these agencies. They find it interrogating that the client or, or the consumer 
is asking about the rights and they say, oh, it's walking on eggshells. It, 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 it's sad because... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to just say, like, uh, kind of not being afraid, like, I can give you an example, which is uh, Bob, you, you, you met him, I think it was yesterday or a couple of days ago, our our first vice president. So he's actually here on a visa. So he's not actually a citizen. Um, he's from India. He's going to Stanford and we helped him open up a case with, with VR. And I kind of I kind of thought he was going to be afraid to ask for anything uh, because I, I would have thought he was going to be happy and that and. And I think the counselor too. They they were gonna think, oh, he's probably just happy to have a case open and isn't gonna ask for much. And he wanted to go to to training out of state. And they they're getting their supervisor involved. Um, so I kind of think people definitely are scared to ask. They ask for anything. They're kind of just happy having a case and getting help here and there, but not asking. I think what for what they're entitled is... to or the most. What do you think about the advertisement of these services? Do you believe that these VR agencies are false advertising? What do you mean, like false advertising? False advertising okay, so when you go to or... false advertising, for example, is like this. Let's say you go and I open up, um, you know, let's say I open up a, a business house agency, like a career center, and I say, okay, hey, we can um, we can assist with resume writing, you know, cover letters, interviewing skills. These are stuff that we can assist with. When you look at the VR agents, and again, this is my view that this is false advertisement is, oh, we can, you know, assist with college, we can assist with post-secondary education, we can assist with training, you know, we can, um, and, and then when they say is you, in order to get those services, you just have to be a client of us. And going through those agencies, you know, there's, I find different other loopholes because you have to meet certain scores on this in order to reach this service. So it comes back to this question. Do you believe that VR agencies are false advertising? Um, I think I think you you could you could say that in certain cases, but but I think like in other cases they can show oh well we help this person so then that proves it uh, it to not be uh, false advertising since everybody's cases are different and everybody gets different things or or someone has more success with others. So I guess. In a way, you could see it as false advertising. How about a monarchy? Way, uh, would, you couldn't. would you say it's a, a monarchy? Is kind of they choose who they want to help and not treat everyone equally. Um, I, I guess, I guess so, and that could be your if you have a good counselor or a bad counselor, and also like a personal like a vendetta against someone. But that'd be like super hard to prove, um, um, unless you have it in in writing that they're clearly uh, denying, uh, clearly like uh, targeting you or uh, discriminating against you because say uh, whatever belief you have or just anything. Um, yeah, but I, I'm talking about writing. It's really hard to prove. I'm talking about like the agency, the but, way they're advertising it. Wouldn't you agree? And again, it, it goes into my point of advertising, right? Let's say you go to you know any any business. If I open up a career center. Just hypothetically, you would, and I can say I can assist with X, Y, and Z, resume writing, cover letters, career coaching, and, and job leads. Those are stuff that I have to provide. And again, I presume it as a monarchy, and not from the council and the vendetta, but I look at it as a holistic approach. If you're having an agency, there's certain loopholes that has to go in, and you're not advertising those loopholes. From my understanding in the research I've done, it can be false advertising, and that, and that breaks false advertising laws. But it's also more of a monarchy of 
if you don't do what we say, we're not even going to help you out with little things. Like, for example, I, I look my, I take myself for an example. Um, I disagreed on one of their decisions and I asked them, Hey, I need some assistive tech. And they said, no, we're not supporting it. And we're not going to even help you out get the basic assistive tech, which is a monarchy, but it's also more of a behavior of the counselor. Just like you said, um, you either have a good counselor or a bad counselor. And I've, it, it hurts some of the some of the families I've met and seen who I've talked about this issue. So I guess my question to you, Aaron, and back to it is from observing kind of like the stuff I'm telling you and your experience, do you believe it can be like a monarchy type environment or no? It's based on how qualified the counselor is. I, I think I think I think like you explained it and, and I, I think it, it could be uh I think it could meet that definition if uh, certain things are met, or they do certain things. The counselor and the agency in general, I think it could be uh, took in that way if everything falls in line, mm-hmm. and they're doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing and taking advantage of of certain laws to to get away with stuff and not uh, provide services uh, to you. Um, because it kind of all, also goes back to money. Do they have enough? Mm-hmm. money to do something they they don't want to spend that money and if they can find a way to not give you that service or uh, a lower quality service then then they'll do that um, so but yeah I, I think the answer to that the one thing is we need to i i've seen this issue and i, and I talked to many families i think the issue and certain solutions we can do to, to re- remedy these situations that families and kids and, and people are facing are rights and entitlements for example if you put a regulation in and you say okay this person's entitled to x y and z then they wouldn't have these issues if you look at the terminology of the goal of vocational rehabilitation the goal of vocational rehabilitation is to obtain and succeed or advanced and meaningful employment based on the disability and i think meaningful employment we have to also look at that terminology is a long-term sustainability employment economically speaking if someone gets a job and they keep it for 30 years that's you know okay their rebuttal is that's meaningful employment but let me offer a counter rebuttal if someone's planning out their future and they don't want to do bagging at Publix or working at a call center they want to become a psychologist that's to them that's meaningful um It's yeah, it, it it's yeah. I understand like what you're saying with the term counterintuitive. So I think there should be some rights in place. For example, I believe they should say VR should be the goal of helping assisting uh, people get an education. And if you look at the job market, uh, BLS gov, about ninety percent of the job market is requiring a bachelor's degree. So. In Florida, we have a concept called Bright Futures. If you have a good enough GP, these are like regular kids, okay, regular kids. It's, it's a beautiful thing where you, if you have a certain GPA, you get funding from the state. Now, for example, if kids, for example, take kids with learning disabilities. I'll take myself, for example. Not high test scores, not good in the classroom, but needs the funding support for college. I looked at VR and said, okay, why not? It, it's a safe net. They have to apply. They have to oblige and they have to do what um, what I assumed was, you know, the right of helping me provide an education. 
now it's, oh, we help provide employment. Pro- employment, you know, is great, but you need education to get to employment. So my question to you, Aaron, is do you think that VR, there should be some entitlements put in place for the clients and the customers of VR so VR can start to be put in line? I, th- I think there should. Like, I mean, you're, here in California, you're, it's the law. They, they like, have to let you go out of state for training if you want it. But even if you put it in your IPE, when you amend your IPE and put it in there, you still have to write a justification letter. You shouldn't even have to write a justification letter. If you, if you want to go to training and you have it in your IPE, then you, sh- you should be allowed to go without having to write a justification letter because then you still have to get that approved. So I, I definitely agree that you should be uh, entitled to, to certain things. But one, if they're in your IP, which um, it really um, shouldn't take long and it's very easy, you can amend it as many times as you want. So but I definitely agree. Um, you should be entitled to, to certain about, things. Um, you talk about the IPE. IPE is the walk us through what the IPE is. Individualized. Say that again. Your last part. Walk us through what an IPE is. Yeah, it's your individualized plan for employment. So basically, mm-hmm. once you open up a case, you write you write up your goal. You write up your goal. So your goal would be at the top, and I'm kind of doing an imaginary uh, visual. So your IP, mm-hmm. say you want to be a lawyer. So you put a, you put a lawyer as your employment goal, and then you can add stuff um, that services that your your counselor would provide to you to reach that goal. And the more specific you are about the services and your goal, uh, the better you are. Because th- those are the only services they can they can provide you, the ones that are in your IP. Uh, it kind of sounds bad, like, oh, these are the only services pr- they provide, but you can amend it as many times as you want. And, right. And, I think, and if you're not specific, oh, go ahead. You're right. Oh, I was not... just going to say, if you're not specific about your goal, then then they can lead you to another way of kind of saying, well, you don't need that service because it doesn't align with, with right. your And I think it comes down to the awareness of what VR is, the rights and, and the, you know, advocates. And when advocates talk, I think this is a conversation, and again, you can feel free to disagree with me, but that we need to have with um, individuals who are in junior, senior, high school, sophomores, to talk to them about the VR process, how it works out, that you're guaranteed rights as an outside perspective because, you know, we, we are living through it. And when we live through it, we, we're seeing the the flaws and we, we're hitting the nail on, on the hammer and, and preaching to the choir. And I think that's a way how we can prevent uh, catastrophic damage to anyone who unfortunately suffers uh, under the hands of VR. Um, so you talk about the IPE, it, it, it's a way to amend, it's an employment plan, for example, of a, of a, a plan to be a lawyer. You talk about the services, you know, a college, law school, housing, you know, tuition. Those are services. Yeah, like are. courses. Say you want to take like courses and like maybe a mentor. Uh, like, yeah. you uh, um, And see, this goes back to unless you know what you want, you won't know what services to put in your IP. Right. And, and those are things that need, needs to be educated. That help you. So talk to me about client assist programs and, and CAP uh, or like, yeah, like so, disability rights agencies. Yeah, so these are, every state has one, and these are, uh, you probably don't want one of these, and if you do, you're kind of in trouble, or or a counselor hasn't been good, but they basically help, they help you appeal, or they help you fight 
um, kind of against your counselor if, if they do anything or you think they've done something um, that they shouldn't have done. Say communication is, you've been trying to get into communication with them and they haven't been responsive. They closed your case for whatever reason and you sh they shouldn't have been closed. Like here in California, like there's no um, requirement, for, like time limit for them to get back to you. So they can get back to you whenever they want. And that's negligence on their part. But uh, there's nothing that says that they have to get back to you within like two weeks or something like that. Yeah, in black uh, and white. So they basically help. Yeah, they help you um, when you're in trouble, basically. They're, but something you also have to remember is uh, they get uh, funding. Um, I know here in California, they get funding from the state. Um, I'm not too sure about the federal government. I think so. If they're kind of a federal I believe program, uh, they might get it. In federal tax dollars. But again, funding's another issue, too. You know, I was reading a study. Yeah, is... so they... Oh yeah, so they might not fight as hard as as they they should say if it was just a a private nonprofit that that would be doing the work they they're doing. So they there's kind of a conflict of interest if you're super skeptical, right. uh, cynical. Um, so yeah, it it is, and and again, um, one thing uh, that that's very intuitive to me. And this goes to all disabilities, by the way. Um, Regardless whether you you know for example we you know you're, in, you're blind and you speak very articulate you're very high achieving uh, anyone with a disability can be high achieving that that's not it, it's it's common sense you know if you can apply yourself hard work it makes you high achieving right we're all equal we all have our strengths and weaknesses but I think uh, the one issue I've noticed is with you know disability rights agencies. You know, in funding, you talk about funding, you know, they, they, they might not work as hard as maybe like a nonprofit. The actual funding of the VR program, it's, you know, state and federal. I was reading the study and it said, it's back in 2016, but $3 billion were misused. I mean, how do you misuse $3 billion? And again, it goes into this, I mean, there's no proper protocols in place, but there's no lack of the protocol and procedures how to spend money. They are so horrible to us. They say, okay, fill out justifications. And if we have to fill out justifications, I mean, I don't mind doing that, but it's also the pro funding protocol. There's no budget on each agency, how much they're going to spend per client. Do you believe there needs to be something like that going on in the future? Yeah. Um, yeah. Spending is, is a big thing. And, it, and that was, like you said, I think you said 2015 or 16. So they probably have even more money allocated uh, to them from the federal government because each state gets uh, different amounts uh, based on di like a different formula. But I know California, we have a lot since we're kind of the biggest, the biggest state in the whole country. So we got more money. And like another thing with just money wise, it's like they're kind of like the the army. Like if you don't spend it this year, you don't get the same amount next year. So it's a uh, really, really weird. And that that kind of falls on this. You're putting that on on the student. Right, and it's hard to know, you know what, what your budget is per student, what you're entitled to. And again, it goes into the conversation of, you know, these conversations need to be had later on, junior, senior year in high school. These conversations need to be done because I, I knew nothing about, I don't know if you knew about VR, but I knew nothing about VR. I was like, well, what is this? You know, this is something that's thrown new to you aside of, you know, being a new student in college. What 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 is, you know, wow, it's just, wow, what VR is. So I guess... Um, it, it goes into the issue of lack of funding. There's no proper protocol. The counselors can make a judgment 
um, you know, they can deny services, which I think a judge can make that determination. A judge can say, okay, who he wants to rule in favor of based on evidence of fact. But a counselor shouldn't deny services. You know, we, we agree that that shouldn't happen. We agree that there needs to be, you know, funding and that we, there needs to be conversations early on. But I guess the one thing is, is solutions. What are some solutions you would like to take in place to fix these problems with VR? Um, what? Yeah, I I would definitely want to uh, start uh, like a nonprofit. So once a, someone opens up a case or before they open a, up a case, because that's another thing, opening up a case, like from, um, you can now open up a case when you're 14. So I, the, the earliest or some, and 16, I think, 14 or 16, I I think it's 14 and then like some programs for 16, but like some uh, teenagers wouldn't even know about them. And the earlier you, you get uh, started with the VR, um, the success probably goes up if you finding employment or just finding something you love to do. Um, so I think that uh, open up the cases, but definitely going back to like the nonprofit, kind of being there with, with the client um, and on meetings when when they talk to the counselors and, and such kind of, have Helping them navigate like the policies. Yeah, have someone there to on your behalf because then you don't know like the laws. You shouldn't be expected to know the so laws, do you think the regulations what, because you're. What qualification do you think these advocates should have? Should they go to law school? Should they have this, or should they be someone who's done no, with I, the program? No, I, I think they should just. No, I think they should maybe be. I I would I would uh, encourage like former counselors to to help out or be part of this like imaginary nonprofit or this hypothetical nonprofit, um, them or just people that, that are very passionate about uh, VR because I think I think on like a, um, a rehabilitation task force that I attend, like I think there's only one person that actually has like a master's in rehabilitation. Everybody else is just passionate about rehabilitation and, and reads up and studies about And I think uh, another VR. thing is, is- the lack of pay these counselors get and it's the lack of quality of work oh yeah the turnover it's what 32 33 i i'm I'm just you know you have someone who is in that and they you know they get paid less and they probably might not have the best attitude i mean there i know people and just like you you probably know people who who are are genuine passionate but the reality is there's only going to be counselors who just don't want to do as much of a good job just because they're not getting as paid as well. And another um, thing I'm, and again, this is some of the things I would like to see is we get this federalized. We get like a, have a federal program, federal money. Of course, every state and federal agency has their issues, but we can start to fix these issues. You know, within 90 days, there has to be an eligibility of services. It's right now six weeks, but you know, um, it used to, to some people couldn't get in the door it used to take them six months so about six weeks 90 days and then a budget you know how much is the agency going to spend on per client how much is the office going to spend in general and i think even when you invest big numbers right into your clients and consumers their output rate would be a lot more they'll have a better quality of life uh, you know for example there's this called florida rehab council for the blind and their accomplishment was the call center. And I was sitting there and I was like, okay, that's good if someone wants to work at a call center. But I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, that is your accomplishment. We can do more. And in I saw another yeah, that study, shouldn't be the default. Right. And I saw another study that said 12% have a college degree people with disabilities and 50% of people with disabilities who have a 
bachelor's degree, can't even get out of poverty. So the studies don't lie. And it's very, I don't know, it, 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 it's the core of career development of people with a disability who needs the extra help. It's sad that we're making it difficult for them to obtain that help. Yeah, and I definitely agree. There's different factors that, that leads to someone being successful with uh, VR. Their their counselor, them themselves. Um, the yeah, there's just a lot of uh, different moving parts, regulations, and laws. And so you talked about opening like up that. a nonprofit. I, Are you going to open up your own nonprofit and and be part of this mission? I I, I kind of was wanting to keep it a secret, but yes, I I do want to. Start that you kind of, I wouldn't mind uh, telling you, but I that is something I'm very wanting to do. I just have to kind of learn how to uh, start one up uh, here in California and have uh, board members on there. Uh, but that is something I I am seeking to to do. Uh, start my own uh, nonprofit to assist uh, people. Like uh, just uh, so I like I was just saying, I help uh, Bavia open up. A case we looked into the policies and we found out that as long as you're able to work in the U.S., you can open up a case. Um, that was something that was done. We helped someone with their. I helped someone out personally with their justification letter. I overlooked it because they wanted to go to training out of state, and I just gave them advice and what they should include and what they shouldn't. Um, so yeah, definitely. Some things we we would be working on is reviewing justification letters, helping people get cases open, um, helping them with their IPE and e IEP, a lot of acronyms. Um, it's all reversed. I, yeah, that's, yeah, and like something I kind of thought of as well is, so you can tell your counselor ahead of time, hey, I want to get this and I'll pay for it up front, but uh, you reimburse me. So I think that's a good angle to approach stuff when you're having trouble. And I think, uh, that'd be something we would be successful with, with and and um, counselors would kind of go with. So we would kind of pay for their stuff ahead of time, and then on the back end they would reimburse us. Right. So therefore, the client uh, wouldn't just be stuck waiting for them to to approve yeah, something, the and then they might lose their job. So say, for example, like Jaws, hey, my nonprofit would put the pill put the bill down for you to get this Jaws software. Um, right when you need it um, and they'll reimburse us afterwards but if we weren't there it would just be you fighting your counselor and you would possibly lose your job because right and, and I see this all the time they say yes and I see this all the time and I think it's, it's a great thing we would love to um, I would love to see you open it up and we're cheering for you and, and again it, it's just you look at the economic aspect of it all if how things how current stand economically, it's setting up people with disabilities for failure. What is your stance on this? Yeah, I I think I think it uh, money has a big thing to to do with it. Um, them not wanting to spend the money. Um, mm -hmm. Like we had a counselor saying, they 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 want to keep the money here in California. They want those dollars to stay here in California. And like my thing is, if uh, uh, this this uh, pertains to training centers out of state. 
Um, he just said that he didn't want to send someone out of state because he wanted them, the dollars to stay here in California. And I think if we can show them uh, like that some centers have a higher percentage of being successful, uh, producing graduates that are successful, they shouldn't. Who cares about the money? Like at the back end, these are going to become taxpayers and you're going to get your money back and, and probably even more than, than you spent on them. So I think... Right. I it goes into more. That, it goes into more and training centers. What are the qualifications in training centers? What what's going on? You know, I mean, again, like training centers. For example, I went to a rehab center for the blind, and I was just shocked. There was no, uh, I would say, benchmarks that they're following. It's individualized, but you know, now they, you know, the my counselor is like, oh, they can help you with employment. They can help you do this. They can help you so much on your career development. And I walked in. I said, hey, can you help me out? Do you know how to work LinkedIn, Indeed, Glassdoor? No. And I was just thinking, what the hell, man? I was just like, how are we not having any protocols for these for these centers? I mean, wouldn't you agree? When, again, how do you refer kids to your same internal center but not have a career counselor it's it's a red flag yeah and like to individuality or individual uh, tailoring the the program to the student i think there should be some level of that like career-wise but like classes like say braille i think that definitely should be a requirement because like studies have shown like if if you know braille like you don't have to read five five hundred words per minute uh, but definitely knowing Braille because of spelling and and punctuation and stuff like that, that's that leads to success. So that and the thing about it is Braille, you know, nobody. I see the counter a rebuttal argument of you know with Braille, you don't use it in colleges and universities. But at the same time, they should show you how to use. I think that should be the biggest requirement. It's like not just Microsoft Word, but like for example, Canvas, Blackboard, you know, some of the OCM things show you how to use that, the different note takers, that, that they need to go into depth how to use all of it. Um, in addition to it, yeah, career development is important. And what I mean by that is when you, any co- community college or university, they have a career department. Now, some are good and some are crap, but they have a career department. And we need to establish that in these training centers, and we need them to be really good career departments because these are people with special needs who are walking in there needing the training, and they need it needs to be certain guidelines. So you said Braille should be a requirement in the real world where Braille is not really used as an everyday driver. Why do you believe that Braille should be a requirement? Yeah. Um. So I. Um. Yeah. So I believe Braille should be a requirement and. And training centers when in classes, like when they're teaching you in these residential training centers, just because the studies have shown, like, I think it's like, I don't know, 90% of people that know Braille. um, And it just says no Braille. It doesn't know. It doesn't say, like, how fast they read or how many times a day they read. It just says uh, no Braille. Their employment uh, is higher. I just think just knowing just because of that data I think it should be a requirement. Um, that's that's, that's kind of where I'm. And well, no, I don't. I don't know about putting that on your resume. I don't think employers uh, would care unless you're applying to like teach Braille or you're mm-hmm. at a training center. I don't think they would honestly um, care. I just kind of go back to the the data, and then all the truth about the training centers. Uh, um, I don't know. 
how many of your instructors were blind or are disabled, but that makes a huge difference because they know what they're going through. And they, it, it's, it's real different when um, it's an instructor that's had the same disability as yourself and showing you that you can do it or uh, and, and, it's capable of being done. But I also find it very cool. And this goes into the real world mindset. Right. And, and again, this is what disabled or not in the real world mindset, there's going to be people who have who in I don't know if you experience it, but offer crappy advice. You're like, oh, yeah, I know how it's done or not adapting to the new current changes. Would, would you agree to disagree or would you agree on that statement? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and I think it should be like kind of they used to have it as a requirement back in the day Ken, when Kenneth Jernigan was running this center in, in Iowa, and he was former NFB president. Uh, but basically, he had a requirement of you had to have a like a job outside of the blindness field before you came working in the training center, so they can, so students can see that you're able to work not just in the blindness field, but out in the general. But yeah, um, to your question about like the instructors, uh, employment-wise, definitely, I think they should be able to keep up with current, uh, current like technology and stuff like we had one that so the student had asked what about like video video interviews and i don't think the the person presenting understood his question mm-hmm. because he didn't know the technology the guy was talking about about like remote and video um interviewing the the person had brought it up because um he had brought up the point that he wasn't able to connect well or, or kind of press uh, be personal with the person interviewing him if he was just on video like he thought it was a little different, and the the presenter didn't understand his question because he kind of didn't didn't answer it, or like he just didn't understand his question because he didn't know the technology that was out there and the do- job search. Um. Mm-hmm. So these training centers you talk about, uh, first I'm going to ask you one question, two, two, a couple questions. One, mm-hmm. what are the required classes you think that should be offered, and the benchmarks in different professional development services that should be out there, and two. What important roles do training centers play into in a person's vocational rehabilitation plan? Yeah, so um, so first of all, like requirements. Um, so I went to the Louisiana Center for the Blind for like 11 months, and that's a center, a structured discovery center affiliated with the NFB. And I thought all the classes should have been required unless you, unless you like say, like Braille was a requirement, unless I... I, I had already gotten my um my certification that I knew it um for from the Hall Hall Institute. So if I say I, if I would have showed him that, I, I do think I should have have not been shouldn't have been required to take that class, but I still took it just because I wanted to have improved my speed. But a class that was required that I shouldn't have had to take, um and where individual individuality comes into play was woodshop. Do that uh, two days uh, we had to do that for two hours every day and we had to like build something like a project and their reasoning was it builds confidence but their instructor then one of the instructors and the main instructor was cited uh, so that kind of goes against them what they're saying yes. about um, confidence and about like proving you can do it you have a cited person teaching us and then another thing is whenever we would be around certain machines uh, he would have to babysit us. And his reasoning was because he had like a friend and the example he gave was he had a friend that when he was using the machine so and he got injured. Uh, so that was his 
reasoning on why he wanted to babysit you, um, <laughs> which is counterintuitive, kind of what they're saying also about the class. Like, we think you can do it and work these machines, but we're going to have someone babysitting you because uh, a sighted person got injured. So kind of shows that if a sighted person can And what do machines it and were there? Has shown to got injured. What machines uh, were there? I think it was like the table, the table. Yeah, it was the table saw, the table saw, and then I think that was the main one. And I think there was like the radio, uh, the radio, the band saw or something like that. I'm forgetting. I, I honestly didn't like that class. So do you uh, think a counter argument could have been, you know, I mean, again, some people want to do wood sharp, and that's fine. Some people don't want to do it because it's. Uh, would you say that wood sharp well, is it a, option? On... Would you say that wood shop is a uh, primarily sighted? course or task at hand no i don't think it's a, i don't think it's a, a sighted thing just because there's people that are blind that work in that but i just think the class shouldn't be re- required because they kind of show uh, having a sighted person they're teaching you and then giving the example of oh my sighted person my sighted friend got injured so i'm i'm gonna have to babysit you but i'm still preaching uh, confidence building in this class, even though I'm babysitting you, and I'm not letting you be independent while working so, this machine. Confidence building, and I and I also think. And hold on, let me just say that I think if we were to do a study of people that attended that center and took that class that are non NFB members, and ask them, you, did you get your confidence? Did this class build your confidence? What's up? And I think almost ninety percent or ninety five percent would say no. Um, I think that class is very um not it's not useful um and then go ahead and ask the question because i think i was going to answer uh your other question yeah so confidence building like go ahead um but what are some things that we can do or they could have done to build confidence or any other training facility to build confidence i think it's enough of what they're doing they have you live off of campus with, with surrounded by blind people and not surrounded with your family i think that's enough and having you teach having them teach mobility cooking uh, technology i think i think that's enough and they have you do these drops and these routes uh, it's very it's very self-building confidence like i know it built me it built my confidence way up when i was able to find routes that they gave me and come back to the center and go everywhere i wanted without like needing sighted help or a gps that that builds a lot of confidence in your classes uh, cooking being able to cook like a meal for 40 that that builds a lot of confidence in like mm-hmm. not living with your parents or, or other students. Uh, like some centers have you like in a dorm, like not well at the same place where classes are, are taking place. So that's, I think that everything they have there builds your confidence. So um, where did you stay in a condo or a dorm? Where did you stay? Was it, a, was it a comfortable accommodation? I stayed on a, in an apartment. Yeah. I stayed in an apartment off of like, we had to walk to, to the center once you need the route, um, you mm-hmm. would get off the bus and walk to the center. So did they pay for the apartment? Yeah, they paid for your apartment. Well, your counselor pays for it. So I guess, um, yeah, your counselor pays for your apartment. It comes in tuition. They, that covers that. Okay, so yeah, so, so it's pretty, it's, it's comfortable. Like you sleep on a, you know, adult-sized bed, full queen. You have your own space to yourself. It, it, it's a comfortable living space, not a crowded dorm. Yeah, it's not a, a dorm. Yeah, some some people have roommates, some don't. Um, you cook by yourself. You don't get uh, major food. They don't they don't babysit you. They definitely live up to independence and and want you to believe in yourself and stuff like that. They 
they practice what they preach. Um, definitely, yeah. So now to my final question: What importance do these training centers build when it comes to an individual's vocational rehabilitation plan? Yeah. So yeah, oh, that, yeah, that's a question I kind of forgot. Yeah, that <laughs> they help out a lot, and I think um, so. Two parts. The uh, so I had I helped out with a resolution in 2019 for the NFB at the national convention. So it was basically saying that these training centers, once their graduates graduate, uh, uh, the government should track if they got off of SSI, SSDI, they got into college, they went to another training center like recidivism because the training they got wasn't very good. So they had to go to another training center. So basically how successful they were and uh, there's anecdotal evidence from 2019, and I think there's much more evidence about um, the success of these graduates. So um, these centers definitely play a vital role in in vocational rehab and kind of assisting them because um, it leads to employment. Uh, but the thing I where it can do more, and the centers are at fault, I can I, I guess um, is they don't tailor the the employment they kind of believe in okay so once you get these skills these o&m skills these technology skills these bro skills you're able to figure out um what you want and how to do your job which i i don't agree with i think there should be a separate program and i think the lighthouse of san francisco would be great uh, for this i think kind of once now, when you say program training mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you say program, I think, yeah, so kind of a program, they teach you how to do your job as a blind person because uh, they have a lot of stuff like that already. So what about house. career um, development they're... at these centers? Do they stress and brief career development? Mm, I, not as much as they they, sh- they should, but I think that's only because that you're there and they... And they're there for just teaching you how to be independent, how to, but not, why well, not how to be independent, mm-hmm. how to teach you blindness skills. That's, they're called adjustment to blindness centers, not uh, f- help you find a job. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I understand. But so, um, again, you know, those are things that, you know, I guess they could play more of a role, but it's, it's, I think it'd be, uh, I think they should have like a dedicated person, but uh, yeah, like, right. their adjustment to blindness center is not help you find a job center. Um, yeah. And so, like, so the, I the, hope that answers your question. So again, I just want to make sure, like, so with these adjustments, they help you adjust to your disability. These training centers, and then once you adjust, you know, the skills of the disability, then you can start building your qualifications on what it would take for you to reach your employment goal. If I'm understanding what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they should do a little more than, like, kind of once you're on your way out, instead of being just an adjustment to blindness, also uh, help you find a job. Uh, or or kind of, that's why I kind of think there should be something else once once you graduate, kind of, because some of these people, once they go, they go to the centers, they had just lost their sight and were working. So, okay, they, they have the skills. They know how to cook. They know how to clean. They know how to cook. They, they know how to use their technology, but they don't know how to do their job. Uh, as a blind person they know how to be a blind person but not know how to do their job as a blind person so what programs are you um, so there's a di- there's a difference so what programs are you thinking yeah i guess i i think i think maybe i think now i'm just thinking that maybe there shouldn't be uh, a job like or a program just to teach uh well i guess some jobs would require like a blind person teaching another blind person how to do the job 
uh, as a blind person, but also it goes to back to like the software, like proprietary software. You see a lot of these and uh, jobs, and and the, the blind person can do the job, but the software is not accessible, so it's not on the blind person. They know how to use their technology, but but it does them no no good if the technology is not accessible. It's not their fault. It's the technology's fault. Um, they can only do so much and troubleshoot so much with with JAWS, uh, no matter how good they are with their technology. If it's something's not accessible, then it's not accessible and they can't do their job. So it's a, a little bit of both. Uh, the technology plays a big part, but also certain jobs. A uh, blind person um, needs to know how to do their job as a blind person. Oh, wow. That's, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on to talk about your experiences and uh, we'll look look forward to this continued partnership. Um, and, and again, just sharing your expertise is really amazing. Thank you for coming. Yeah, uh, thanks for help, helping me spill my secrets um, beforehand. <laughs> about my, uh, nonprofit, um, I guess you got kind of an exclusive. I, I kind of wanted to keep it a secret until I kind of was ready and kind of had more uh, I guess much more experience and had more people like willing to help me out. But um, yeah, definitely. Um, I guess that's how I'm passionate about it. It's just kind of well, yeah, we need people uh, yeah, like definitely. you. We need people like you. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. You have a wonderful day. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome. But thank you for tuning in. And you can find my podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have a great day, and we'll see you in the next episode.